Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the shit show that is Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. And the year that we're doing is 2020. And this is, for all of you non-paying people, our last episode before we go in to figure out what is the greatest movie. Whoa. We've seen some good. We've seen some bad. Uh, tonight is Soul, which I think is going to fit somewhere in the middle. Uh, Man, what, what, what a middle movie, probably, yeah. right, everybody? <laughs> I think okay, that- I'm so, I thought I was going to come in and like fight to the death that it was fine. I'm so <laughs> glad to hear that you guys feel the same. <laughs> my, my name is Ryan. And I will be your host, and with me, uh, as always, is last week's winner, Gregor Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Gregor Mike. <laughs> Gregor Mikovich. You know, isn't it so fun to still do an Eastern European accent? Might be running it's out of time on that one, left, folks. Baby. No, you know? don't it's me. It we can do it. Yeah, Italian. We got a little bit of Southern, Southern European. Enjoy them while you can, everyone. Um. On this show, we're, we're comparing movies to other movies from that year, but Pixar is in the Pop Filter Hall of Fame, and it's really hard to not compare it to other Pixar movies. And I think that is other 2020 movies might be screwing soul, and other Pixar movies might be screwing soul. Guys, is this a fucking tambourine, trombone, reach around sort of situation like it's we like to talk about with trombone movies? trombone, reach around. Yeah. <laughs> it's your classic. What, 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 what it felt to me is that this is the first time a Peter Doctor Pixar movie felt paint by numbers. When you say that, do you mean non-cars? I mean your non-cars. Yeah. So it's uh, not Cars, it's not Cars 2, and it's not Cars 3. And it's certainly not Disney's airplanes in the world of Cars. <laughs> Please stop calling airplanes in the world of Cars a Pixar movie. No, um, I'll never stop. First it was a mistake, but now it's a hilarious bit that I'm very committed <laughs> to. Everything I love about straight white males... owie that was painful (laughs) it just really felt like that inside out hit in a way that none nobody expected and then they were like we can do that exactly again there's so many times that i was watching i was like am i in a weird place that this movie isn't pulling at the strings like it should and it's like no the movie's just like well oh yeah all right i see i feel like it would have been transformational Except for it, there's an awkwardness around having a, you know, centering a movie around a black character and then knocking him out of his own body. So I, I think that like, cause I think that there are moments that are totally wonderful and, and beautiful. And I think by, in some ways we might be measuring Pixar against Pixar a little bit. So, uh, but I just think that it comes out in the final wash to be ultimately kind of like meh because that odd choice keeps you from connecting emotionally fully to the movie i'm I'm gonna be honest i didn't know i I didn't like think about when i was watching it i've seen it twice once on opening day whatever that means like it's disney plus debut day christmas day and then once this week and i didn't think about the 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 black person bodiness of it until i was told by people right like that's not something that stuck. What stuck with me is the fact that, like, am I getting a Pixar remix? You know, am remix I getting R. like it? A, a remix, <laughs> oh, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah, it, it felt remixard, and it felt like where Inside Out, everywhere it went in the lessons, even if you're like, I bet it's going to teach this lesson, it does it surprisingly. Where 
so quickly. You're like, I bet this is the message. And then they nailed it. I'm like, he got there. That was the message. Like, it, it, not, not, none of this movie was that surprising. And, and like, I will argue with that. I do, I do think that the, it had a lot of surprises and a ton of creativity. It's just that when and where the creativity came up, that's something mm. that I want to talk to you guys about. And if it seems organic or if it seems forced or if it seems like if we're on like a Pixar checklist... But uh, we have been told that we're out of the Pixar, um, you know, like that, like the the highlights, like that, like they had their best time probably ten years ago. And honestly, thank God, right? Like at, at some point, the the just like the golden age has to end, so it can just be a regular old like movie company, right? Right. <laughs> but what's crazy is that at, when you move five years or ten years past what other movies that come out now, all of a sudden, Inside Out is in the golden age, and Coco is in the uh, golden age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like. Those we thought that those were mediocre. That's Simpsons Pixar syndrome, movies. right? Like right. when we were watching The Simpsons, we were like, season seven was a little rough, and now we're like, oh my god, could you even imagine a season of TV as good right now? A season seven, oh. <laughs> and you know, I I actually do really like Coco and Inside Out, and then there's others that fall by the wayside, like Your Good Dinosaurs, or we're we're not going to talk about Cars, but there are other Pixar movies. How about that, that Planes movie, Ryan? You're Two Incredibles. It's not <laughs> fuck. Two Incurious. It's not fucking. The Planes movie is not fucking. <laughs> what the fuck? What the oh. fuck? What about Planes? Oh my god. You fucking coked <laughs> up hoodlums. Think this is funny to pull your Ashton Kutcher pranks on me. <laughs> and it's not funny. Uh, but uh, but we do. I, I I wonder that if we if 2020 did give us two, if Onward and Soul, if Soul is going to go up and Onward is going to go. You know, mm. uh, we, we, we do like Pixar is in the pop filter hall of fame. I feel like that we do love most non cars related things, but soul made it into the elite eight. And I don't know how many other podcasts with our exact premises would put soul there. And mm. onward was not even an option, right? Like, we well, they came out at different times of the year and that really matters. <laughs> we do. We do love months. We do love months. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I feel like I repped pretty hard for Onward, but it was there was no momentum there. there. That wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, and looking back now, like I wonder if Onward was a dumber but cleaner movie. Like, mm. uh, you know, like I wonder if it was like a sadder little, but wiser girl. A lot, yeah, a little more obvious, but like a little more uh, focused on what it had to say. It definitely had the same thing this this movie does though, which is like you can see just like from like five minutes into it what like the solution is or what the the moral is and then the, the you watch the movie play that out and then you're like yep <laughs> i feel good about that because i knew that was going to happen unfortunately there's no way that i will ever hear about what you guys think about onward i wish there was a way for me to hear about what you guys think about soul nope unless we're talking about planes Wait, okay so I'm, we're gonna take a break when we come back play welcome to the world's fastest sport where only the best of the best compete. Oh, for flying out loud. For the first time ever, we have a crop duster in the race. And he's going to die. Dusty, you're going up against the best racers in the world. I'm afraid of heights. After winning his second Academy Award for Inside Out, Pete Docter wasn't sure what to do next. He did now, however, as a maker of children's films, want to do something about the origins of personality and the concept of determinism. 
When the initial pitch about a soul named 22 wasn't totally working, they decided to add another concept, a jazz musician named Joe Gardner, who would take the lead role from 22 and become Pixar's first African-American lead character. The story kills Joe almost immediately, right after he gets his first big break and could take the leap from middle school music teacher to star pianist. He makes his way from the great beyond to the great before and, along with 22, tries to cheat his way out of the afterlife. We see how personalities are created, we visit the zone, and we even spend part of the movie with 22 as Joe and Joe as a cat. Taste Buds, I want to start with, with what is often the most interesting part of Pixar movies, the worlds. How do all of the places I just listed, real and imagined, stack up with Coco's Heaven, Inside Out's Mind, Nemo's Ocean, Remy's France, Andy's Bedroom, and Earth's Fat Future? One thing I really liked was when I heard like the pitch for this movie, I was not looking forward to the real world Manhattan parts. I hate when fantastical places go back to the real world, but it gives Pixar a chance to show off how like the strides they've made mm-hmm. in animation and that, Brag. you know, uh, Manhattan is a magical place. It's very dirty. I don't think this movie does a good job of like capturing how when you're in Manhattan, like you would never touch anything or sit on anything in quite the way that some of the characters do well, in this wh- movie. That's because 22 doesn't know about the world. That's all that. Uh, even <laughs> so, I think I think if you are a completely fresh new person and you drop down in the middle of Manhattan, just the smell and look, the dampness she and like the sort of... The world smells like stale piss. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I I felt like the way that it was rendered, it was just as exciting. You know, all the characters are so interesting to look at. They're not really realistic, right? Necessarily, not one hundred percent realistic. There's one scene. There's or there's one shot in particular where uh, Joe as a cat is talking to twenty two as Joe, uh, offering pizza, mm-hmm. and the cat is standing like on the top of stairs. Joe is at the bottom of the stairs. And the stairs are not fucking animated. Like, they're just... That's just a picture of real-ass stairs. Like, it looks more real than if they had filmed stairs. And so I do appreciate how we get a lot of the great before and the great after. You know, like, where we get to see actual designs of things that don't exist. Because at this point, Pixar is like, oh, you want us to do something that does exist? Fuck you, man. I'll make it... I'll make it look grosser or better or realer than a uh, camera ever could. Yeah, the, the textures throughout Manhattan are are great and, and pop. And that's why the world of the great before and the great beyond was flat because they're, they're so, it seems like it's supposed to be soft, but then it's less interesting to look at. And if you're comparing it to Pixar's other created worlds, so much smaller. The inside of a mind, there's so many more places to get lost than in the great beyond and the great before. And that's crazy. Like the fact that the the zone is part of the Lost Souls Sea is just right next to the Great Before. Like it all seems like we're in a little cul-de-sac where well, because Wally space doesn't everywhere. exist there. Yeah, not to mention it's got that pleasant boat thing. Of if you drive past this corner too far, then you're gonna end up right where you started from. But- yeah, because it's a place like devoid of space, and yet somehow like his consciousness, I think, has to like create space. Mm-hmm. That's always such a hard concept to, because I guess it's like an impossible concept to wrap our heads around. But I liked the way they did it, where when he sort of bumped out of even those universes, like the great in between place, when he's mm-hmm. like kind of squeezed his way out of one into another one, and the way it like doubled and was wrong and sounded wrong because yeah. he was like in between places. That was very spooky and effective. That was cool. But yeah, the the the, mm-hmm. the main parts of the fantastical land 
were fine. They were fine. Okay, so like, uh, I feel like that there's two types of Pixar movies, unless you're not either one of those types, and then you're a third or fourth type. But let's say that there's two types Tracks. of Pixar movies, which is uh, invent the world or sort of show this world like we think it would be. Like, uh, how do fish get to school? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's on a stingray. That's the bus, you know? And then here we get totally invented shit that is sort of based on Christianity, sort of based on uh, craziness, like crazy ideas. Like, what was were these worlds of the great beyond and the great before as mind-blowing as other Pixar worlds? Uh, the one thing I didn't like about the Jerry's is I kept thinking, is this how Pixar thinks of themselves? Do they kind of think of themselves as like quasi-angelic, quasi-godlike <laughs> characters who have like figured out what it means to be a person and how to show that to people right. and how to usher people into the new consciousness. And or then I got is that like, how they think of like the audience? The audience is two-dimensional until Pixar comes in and shows them how to be real. <laughs> Turns them into chubbies. I, I don't like... That's interesting to see is this Pixar being itself, but the Jerry's are so dumb and Terry is so petty that it's, I guess, interesting to think of themselves as dumb. Like the Jerry's are the most easily manipulated creature in the I got an, e- it's- I got an email here. Can I read it real quick? <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, this email says, uh, Terry fucking sucks, right? Is biggest shithead even a contest this year? Terry, if you're <laughs> listening, Greg, Greg from Movie of the Year wrote this question and he says, fuck you, you scrappy do ass fucking buster. My heart has a near infinite capacity for love and I still reject you. <laughs> I did write that, Ryan. Thank you for pointing that out. Terry is awful. Terry's the worst thing to ever happen. Uh, He comes from heaven, and apparently he's supposed to help out up there. And throughout the entire movie, throughout the entire movie, you're like, okay, this guy is permissible, but when he demands that they give him a trophy. For his own accomplishment, and all the Jerry's have to go to watch him accept the trophy. That was way too Trumpian. much for me. <laughs> that was way too much because it was like, okay, the more you, if you give this guy even a little bit of respect, he's going to demand literally a trophy. Mm-hmm. I well, so I thought Terry was funny. Does suck, and this is why I don't think like it's heaven, heaven. Because like there, I think the movie's trying to say there's there's problems everywhere. There could be a whole other movie about the Jerry's and Terry. Uh, I think Heaven is that weird like bug zapper thing. I hated that. Like yeah. I think he, Heaven that is that, ran that from obviously you would the conveyor belt that when people go into it, it makes a sound. Yeah. And he's like, I don't want to be, bzzzed. and we're supposed to be like, no, that's Nirvana, dude. And yet bugs do it all the time. Yeah, <laughs> we look up to them. Uh, but going, Terry is pigeonholed. Terry is voiced by Rachel House. I want to say the actor's name is, and she—it's basically the same role she plays in Hunt for the Wilder People, yeah. which is I should be a good person, but now I'm vindictive and hate <laughs> the thing I'm trying to help. It's just nonstop. Too much fun. <laughs> you you stop doing that over there because you're having fun, and I hate and there, it. I guess there's just something in her tone of voice that lends itself to this kind right. of character. That must be kind of sad in a way. Like she has ridden it to two great roles, but boy, if people hear the sound of your voice and right away they're like, "You should play like an asshole that nobody is glad to have come around." <laughs> or I wonder if in a movie that really defies structure, right? Like it really tr- does try to say like this is how most three act structures work, and we're gonna bounce against it because it really does. Like it really does try to defy all of that. It still says, but we. I mean, we gotta have some fucking Karen. We have to have some 
asshole to root against. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Well, without, and I don't even know if that's true. Without Terry, I do think it could work. It would just like take a little more elbow grease from Pixar. But without Terry, Joe is the worst person in the movie, and I don't think they could uh-huh. let that. They couldn't let that happen. So they're like, there well, has to be an antagonist then. Yeah. Uh, or, but I could also see making it the Jerry's, who yeah. are just so polite with their rules that couldn't that be the worst person those are the people that i hate well, yeah, the most yeah because they're like total like neo-libs right they're like you know we just have these rules to help everybody right. out and then it's like if you don't follow the rules they're like well no you have to follow the rules <laughs> there's no choice but they do it with a soft kind voice fuck you yeah <laughs> <laughs> but the implication is like wait what if i don't like no you will you will what? comply what about these new worlds that we were introduced to, whether it was the great before, we don't really see the great beyond, or the zone, that actually was like, all right, Pixar, you're doing your shit. Uh, like, 22's box, I, I enjoyed seeing the weird stuff 22 collected, like, and so it's like the level of detail and, and texture that they, they're good at. Right. Did you read all those name tags? All, every single one. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I liked the way it, you know, talked about flow as being something that could be either like a very good thing or yeah. potentially like if you got like, you know, you get addicted to it, like a lot of other things that you get addicted to. And I felt like they didn't lean too heavily on what those other things might be. But like, obviously, there are a lot of ways in which people could become obsessed and then become like isolated, lost souls. I did feel right. also, though, like that, that the like with the like moonbeam and everything, mm-hmm. it did seem a little like try hard or focus grouped or something like and then there's going to be bob dylan music and then this hippie's going to come on this cool ship that's flying on moonbeams man and it's just like that starts to feel cynical after a while when you start piling like one trope on another like that yeah does it make me sound like an old man who appreciated early pixar that's how old (laughs) i am is i grew up on early pixar where uh just the fucking sand ocean would have been a movie and would have been enough for us (laughs) <laughs> and all of you fucking children need uh, seven more plots. That's why it seems like a good thing if we if we could maybe just all agree that Pixar, the golden age, is over. Mm-hmm. And that no matter what its bounds are, it's definitely in the past. I think then it would make it easier to watch Pixar movies in the future. I think if this movie came out in like five years... We would just be like, "Ah, oh, sweet! The new Pixar is pretty cool." Yeah, because it is. It is a good, enjoyable movie. I didn't end it being like, "Ah, oh, I yeah. wasted two hours." I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. It just doesn't do the like. Should I start thinking about the world or myself differently? Yeah, and, and it's anybody not with- younger than you is not going to think that either because they're wildly confused. Mm-hmm. So it's it's aiming towards this audience, and that's not something that we typically talk about. Of like, well, if you're 13 and goth, then you'll like this movie. That's not typically what we do, but still, like. I feel like that it's either undershooting or overshooting literally everybody who's watching it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <okay. laughs> Guys, you got the Psy Blues, and there's only one cure for that, and it's motherfucking Rush. That is very, very funny or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about, or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. I always am nervous about telling you guys that it's time for... 
to create the Ghostbusters of any given year. But I, I feel like I'm the most nervous when I tell you that it's time to create the 2020 Ghostbusters where movies don't exist, comedies don't exist, and people barely exist. And so are we ignoring that there was supposed to be a 2020 Ghostbusters that took any comedy out of it and it was supposed to be just this reverent filleting of what the Ghostbusters mean to the world? Yes, I think that we're okay. going to disregard that, except for now that we have a clip of a bunch of tiny marshmallow men gremlining up a store, right? Have you guys watched that? Uh, no, I'm that not totally sure anymore that this franchise understands what a ghost is. I've been thinking about <laughs> it. Like, the original state of... That was like a that was a demon that was in that thing. There shouldn't be a bunch of little things like that. Like now, it should only be ghosts. I think, and that's not what a ghost is. A ghost is someone who used to be alive, maybe during Civil War times, uh, and then it <laughs> definitely any time before the twenties. Ghosts, there's no ghosts past 1930. Yeah, definitely. That's not. It's not just like a bunch of little monster things. That's not a ghost. Are we old enough now to have 1980s ghosts? fucking scaring us about <laughs> 1980s things i remember in watching sixth sense when i was like 10 or whatever and there's the kid who's like oh you want to see my dad's gun i was like he's too old to be a ghost way too recent because he's just like in a plaid shirt and jeans <laughs> <laughs> i love mike's ghost rules all right guys but for our purposes what we're doing is we're trying to sell the most amount of tickets to a big budget comedy horror movie called ghostbusters 2020 don't answer the call it's not afterlife it's just our own thing that we're doing with the title <laughs> Ghostbusters that we co-own and you also co-own. Uh, we're going to make a Rushmore out of this, so the big four stay, like the Ghostbusters do. We also have a special spot for the Rick Moranis role, Woo! if you guys have any of that. Uh, Mike, we're starting with you. Who is, and Mike, oh my God, you have in the easiest job of all time, you've got the Slammy Dunk role. Where are we going? You make me think like there's only one obvious role, so I have to. Oh no! Let me tell you right now, there's zero. There's zero okay, obvious thank roles. God, thank yeah. God, thank. Uh, so I'm gonna do. I don't know what version of himself he will bring, but uh, it's Sasha Baron Cohen, and maybe it's that <laughs> the other three people think that they really are Ghostbusters, and he knows that he's fooling them the whole time. But Sasha Baron Cohen should be on here. Mike, and is he gonna pick a role and stay in that the entire movie, or are we gonna get a little Borat, a little Bruno? I think uh, when we he, all forget Bruno, I oh, think what G. he should do is in, in his movie they're making the Ghostbusters movie, and he keeps saying to the other character, like to the actors, like I think that my trailer is really haunted, and so then he's in kind of like an adjacent movie <laughs> where the actors are slowly realizing that his trailer is haunted. All right, so the whole goal is to like take money out of wallets for tickets, and you guys yeah, have money already. Greg, there you where go. are we going next? Um, okay, so keeping to the rule where it's just as big a star as you possibly want to get, this is a twofold answer, I think. The Rock, um, probably one of our next presidents of these United <laughs> States, The Rock. He's big, he's beefy, and I feel like he just brings in that Bafo box office. And if we could get him exclusively with some other comedic actors, mm-hmm. maybe we could find a new. Sometimes there's like a there's like a new there's a different gear for the Rock that's like even better actual comedic performances, and I think we're gonna get that in this movie. All right, I'm gonna maybe that for now. Let's see if we need him. The for... Rock. Yeah, I mean, like I don't know the last time I saw him and enjoyed him. What? It's been a is while. Because you're guys. watching Young Rock. Don't watch Young Rock. 
No, I only <laughs> exclusively watch Young Rod. Is this a Scorpion King situation, Ryan? We've told you to stop watching the Scorpion King. Just on repeat. It's the most know. accurate uh, portrayal of his face. Uh, Mike, you're <laughs> up next. Uh, I I kind of just went with comedians. I forgot Bafo Box Dollars. And uh, one of the best How comedies. How many times have I told you to not forget Bafo Box Office? One of the best comedies. And you know what? Uh, I think this will bring in money, at least in the studio system. It's like the most a Sundance movie has ever been bought for. And I think uh, this person is there. Are you making that face about my language? It's uh, Andy <laughs> Samberg. <laughs> Andy Samberg. Okay. Maybe Pile. Rude. Dang. Repudiation. Just flippantly. Maybe Pile. Greg, you're up next. Man. I felt so good about The Rock, and then you smacked him down. Okay, well, here's... Uh, I think everybody agrees that 2020 belonged to one show. It was a TV show, full disclosure. It was on Apple TV. It's the one show they have on that network. Right. Uh, but it stars one Believe! Jason Sudeikis. Believe! <laughs> I thought you were going to say Haley Steinfeld. <laughs> Dickinson. And this guy uh, has been with us for a long time, obviously, but... Ted Lasso is just a different gear of Jason Sudeikis's potential, and he is, you know, he's literally fighting his own ghosts, uh, the ghost of his relationship, obviously. Uh, I'm going to tell so, you this. There's no way Jason Sudeikis not going on that list. <laughs> is that your Sudeikis? That was mine, yeah. Nice. I like it. I already gave you the points, Greg. You don't have to compliment me. Oh, anymore. okay. Still but yes, good. Jason Sudeikis, uh, TV stars go on to star in movies. I don't know why we're cutting out TV. And 2020 was a year where our biggest comedy stars were on television. So, Mike, go ahead. Beat Jason Sudeikis. You won't. I, I know you won't. Well, he's on the mountain. So Yeah. It's do something <laughs> so good, Jason Sudeikis gets kicked off the mountain. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is uh, a TV star, uh, a creator, and she starred in a little scene but awesome movie in the beginning of 2020 called The Lovebirds. I'm going to put Issa Rae on there to bring a different energy and vibe. You know what's crazy, Mike? I forgot to tell you guys about this uh, before the segment started. But I have a uh, three-pointer for anybody who says that the very special thing that I'm thinking. And it's Issa Rae. Oh, Mike. no. Oh, shit. Mike. Hold on. Mike. Issa Rae is on the mountain. Very right, good. So we have three. We've got... Okay. Uh, Sebastian Bastian Cohen, we have Jason Sudeikis, and we have Issa Rae. Greg, there's one more spot left. And we've got two pretty good maybes, so go ahead. I feel like we always forget Jamie Foxx. I forgot Jamie Foxx was in this movie. When I heard the voice he does in this movie, it's not just straight up Jamie Foxx. It's kind of like he's doing a character with his mouth. They call the voice. Uh, And it got me thinking, like, dang, we really take Jamie Foxx for granted. He's been a comedy star for like 25 years he basically performs in whatever movie you put him in and i thought he was really good in this so jamie fox i remembered you big guy love it maybe we're on speed round mike what do we got uh there's a movie that was huge on netflix called the wrong missy i think this kid lauren lapkus is going places lauren lapkus Wow. Okay. Uh, lapkus has yet to hit a rushmore as far as i know uh this would be crazy greg anybody else I was going to say Kumail Nanjiani. I don't know if the goodwill has dried up there, but uh, I still think there's a lot of people that like him. Mike, anything else? Eric Andre? Oh, dude. He could be in the Sasha Baron Cohen one for sure. That would be so awesome. All right, guys. And then uh, I, 
we actually have to do the Rick Moranis right now. So is there anybody oh, on your list or from my maybes that you want to offer into the Rick I brought one specific. Okay, great, I, I, I think it should be Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis notably <laughs> reemerged in 2020. He, he was got in a commercial. In the head. And then he got punched in the noggin, yeah. And then the whole world fell apart, by the way. That happened, like, right before uh, pandemic. So <laughs> something to keep in mind, Rick Moranis. My, uh, I already said my Rick, Rick, Rick Moranis, actually. It's 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 Eric Andre. Eric Andre. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely... He should not be a ghost buster. Let he him in. Be. Let him in. <laughs> Mike. All right, Eric Andre is going to take the Rick Moranis down. Sorry, uh, Rick Moranis. I'm Rick sorry Moranis. to Rick Moranis. <laughs> Nobody uh, outricks the Moranis. So I have got uh, four, no, six babies. And also, you guys didn't say two. I'm going to throw my two on there. Uh, Pete Davidson, king of 2020. Yes. He's more hey, of a Rick Moranis. I'm just so hey. tired of the whole dialogue. I, I, honestly, I don't even have anything against this guy. I just, every time I hear about him, it's just, it bums me out. And Dan Levy. Oh, oh shit. of course. That would be rad. That's Man. it. Ryan. That's it? Okay. Ryan. Could you imagine him getting slimed? <laughs> His face. You, David. How do you fold the slime? Your 2020 <laughs> Ghostbusters are uh, Sebastian Bastian Cohen, Jason Sudeikis, Issa Rae, Dan Levy, Eric Moranis, his Eric Andre, and I'm seeing that movie, ladies and gentlemen. Take, uh, take all the money. Bafo. That's Bafo box office right there. When we come back, more about soul. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to pop filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpotfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way, we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show. That's Movie of the Year. And that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review. Bye. Gentlemen, we're back to the show. We're back to Soul. And this is, uh, uh, this is not our typical question, but I do think that it's important to ask here. Uh, what is this movie about? What is Soul trying to teach us? And this isn't just like an analytical question. Like, can you break down soul? But like, does the movie know what it's trying to teach us? Go. I think it does. I just think it's not easy to do in an adult movie, let alone a cartoon movie that plays with metaphysical things. But I think if you look at what Joe's after and what 22 is after. So 22 is afraid to live. And Joe doesn't realize he's living because he's only looking for one thing to find could define his life. So I think... Which is a different form of afraid to live. Which is a di- yeah, it, it's because he has, my life can't end on the day it's about to start, and then he finds out from Dorothea Williams that even his dream gig is also just coming and doing the same thing, which is what his normal job was. So I feel like the message of the movie, which isn't inspiring, but it is, is kind of like just relax and live. Stop fucking thinking about it, and well, you'll be fine. 
the the movie has something that is played as like Mike. the one of the most dire moments that could possibly happen to a person, and it's actually one of the most amazing moments that could happen to someone. When he's told you're going to have a permanent job here, like yeah. teachers live for that. You hustle nonstop as a teacher, just trying right. to get someone who will pay you on a permanent basis, pay you like a fucking adult, pay mm-hmm. you like somebody who is a member of society and not somebody who is like. A, a, like a, a a priest or something or someone who has taken a sacred vow of poverty uh when you really <laughs> actually get paid to be a teacher to teach music the thing he loves more than anything else in the world that's his job he just had two I- incredibly inspirational moments mm-hmm. one where the 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 girl plays a solo on her own so caught up in the moment and the next where Work. he reflects on the power of music in his own life and gets carried away in a breathtakingly beautiful scene and, and only got that, made fun of a little bit not yeah. a lot just a little bit <laughs> and that's fine and if your kids aren't making fun of you you're not doing anything like your kids right. have to be able to make fun of you that's how you know that they're actually communicating Work. with you and it's, it's not just getting paid to be a teacher. L- looking at Connie, not just the the fact that she goes ham in band, but she comes to quit and says, but before I quit, can I show you this thing yeah. I've been working on? And loses <laughs> it then. And then Des, who pulls him into the Dorothea Williams band, he's like, you were my teacher 15 years ago, and you made me into music. Yeah. So Joe is a good teacher doing... Right surrounded by the thing he loves but because it's not the definition of what he thinks and he has that fight with his mom he's like my definition of success is different than yours but it's also his definition of success is wrong uh, I, I want, let's talk about joe real quick as like the good guy you know like oh no he's a good guy and in all the negative connotations that, that could mean because i think that he he does think that his base level of bullshit which is sort of ambitious i don't try real hard to be a star jazz piano player but i also hate the fact that i'm a middle school teacher that fucking sucks and then we realize later on that he's also like a selfish haircut getter you know (laughs) like that that was one of the most impactful moments of like well you've never fucking asked bro and that like he's just he's sort of he's sort of that guy that like think he's thinks he's okay thinks he's a good guy but is actually kind of a selfish prick well because i i do think there's so many Types in general, I was going to say artistic types, who are like, but I have this passion, and that makes me better than normal people. But even thinking that makes you not. And he probably, like, he (sighs) planned on being nice. You know, like, when his Mm -hmm. life started, that's when he was going to start being magnanimous. Until then, nothing had even gotten underway yet. And so he was, like, more than... He was not engaging with life, right? Because he was a lost soul at that point. He was just not actively seeking out connections with other people because he was both connected to his pain and his disappointment so intricately. And there's no there's no way that like you can understand jazz and there's no way that you can understand passion. Like what is the point of me talking to you? Why would I make a connection to you? Right. Because all he does we don't have the exact was, same things that we that we need from life. He talks to his barber about jazz and he's like, "Yeah, cuz he loves it, but it's just cuz he loves it." Like you already know the kind of guy Joe is. You don't want to be stuck in a room with him. Also, it's, he doesn't call that woman back ever who likes him. But because you can tell he's like, well, she'd get in the way of my career. But he does seem like you can see in the cracks that he's not actually grinding that hard. And of all the things, it's fucking jazz. It's not something cool like podcasting. Like, get the <laughs> exactly. fuck out of here, Joe. And even look at the way look at the way he jazzes. Um, jazz is a, is a communal thing where you have to be in touch with not just what you're doing, but with what everybody else is doing. And how do I take mm-hmm. what you're doing and kind of change it a little bit and throw it back to you? Work. But we see he's a selfish lover when it comes to he, jazz. Yeah. 
he goes, he goes into, into his, the zone. Yeah. yeah. He goes into his own little closet and he stops everybody else from playing. And it's so beautiful, but he doesn't go into that zone when he teaches. He When he right. teaches, he's with the people he teaches. And that's how the movie shows you he's meant to be a teacher and not really be a musician because he can't connect to people through music, but he actually can through teaching. And it's right. the, again, it's the, the the messages I think they're going for are too complex. Is the the relationship with the zone and obsession? I think is really interesting because that is no matter like ever, we're all supposed to try to hit the flow with no yeah. matter what we're doing. And this movie is saying like when you're in the zone and flowing, you are a millimeter away of being a crazy addict. And so how do you? How do you have a passion without letting it take over your life? And flow is such a weird concept in a capitalist society, too, because we're suppo- what it's supposed to really be is we're supposed to love our work so much that we enter into a bliss-like work. state. And so, like, flow kind of is a little bit bullshit, too. And do you know who that also is, too, is that all the, pe- all the people who made that movie, this is sort of like their excuse to their yeah. families. Like, right. watch this movie to understand me better, because, sure... I disregarded you as people or me as a father or mother for the entire duration of my career life. But if you watch this movie, maybe you can understand that I was crazy in on a <laughs> I'm on, just spinning in a, my sign, baby. Yeah, I'm just on an abyss of sand, and I don't know what to tell you. But I, I think that that state of flow, is, like the, the 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 corporate version of flow, is is been is a hostage to the, the real flow. Is that artistic? You're making music, you're painting, you're writing, and you forget the world you forget to eat that's never going to happen when somebody's filing tps reports they're just so in the state of flow that they're just like oh like and you look up eight hours later okay so apparently mike has never seen me file tps reports because i am in there and i'm getting it done i think one of my biggest problems with the second watching of this movie is that uh it's to find your purpose or your passion or your dream but that no but that's not it it's your spark or your patch Mm. And I get the the terminology confused because every time it seems like Joe or me as the audience member learns what you're supposed to do, your goal, your your dream, whatever it is, like, oh, no, it's not that, it's this. And then they just keep using the same words over and over again. But it's like this cycle. And And by the time 22 gets her patch, they didn't even see what her spark was. Which I think is part of the movie saying it doesn't matter what your spark is. And you can't say. I think the purpose is to have one. And you can't say, because the, 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 this is such a cop-out probably, but they're trying to talk about something that we don't really have language for. There is What is the meaning of life? What is the mm-hmm. essence of life? Is it looking at the, the leaves go through the, the air on the breeze? Is it you know the taste of a pizza? A plastic bag floating down the street, because that is art. You have yeah. Uh, you're spying on your neighbor with your camera. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it, it's it's something that you can't quite put your finger on, right? And so maybe that's part of the excuse is because it's not quite your spark. It's not quite your passion. It's not quite your reason for living. It's not quite the leaves. It's not quite the pizza. It's something in there, though, around there is like the spark of life. So is the answer all? It's like, are you doomed? All spark. (laughs) I think it's ultimately, ultimately, I think it comes somewhere ultimately i think it falls somewhere around the idea of just appreciate you know like Mm -hmm. you are 
there is like something that we can't even conceive of behind us and there is something that we will never understand in front of us but right here right now we have something and it sucks a lot of times it's it's bullshit a lot of times but it's it's here right now and it's ours and if we could just like turn a fairer eye to it if we mm. could just love it for what it is and not what it could be or what Brand. it used to be or what it might be or what or if we don't fear it too much because we might lose it or it might hurt us or we might die if we could just for one second appreciate it because it really okay. is amazing then so what greg is teaching me now is that do not make music uh to have more money in your pocket but instead take what's out of your pocket take what's in your pockets out of it and then make music that's the way you're actually supposed to live yeah, yeah. <laughs> right yeah it's i like the the be be present be here now and it's use it whatever connects you which is why joe is a good teacher he teaches 22 an unteachable prick yeah, that it's okay to live. And when Joe does the montage thing, I like what you said there, Greg. Is like the the kinder eye. Is that what you said? Looking yeah. with a kinder eye is because he he gets twenty two's memories in his body, and everything he looked at as like a bad moment, he saw it through her eyes for that moment. He was like, "Oh, that's a beautiful moment." Where we were in the same moment, but now I just have to think that the leaf twirling isn't. I'm going to be late. It's like, well, that light is pretty for a second. Yeah, and now it's a good moment. Yeah, the, the the slanting light, you know, I mean, that's like kind of in, in philosophy that that's an image that comes up over and over again of just like the beauty of a soft light it, and and it's 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 like it's like connection to reason and, and truth and everything. But ultimately, I feel like that's that's where a lot of children's movies end up is appreciate the moment, appreciate who you are, appreciate your situation, because that's pretty great. And then it takes all of these crazy directions in order to get back to the same moment that we sort of already knew that we should be doing anyway but we're not yeah and that's why it feels like they were like i want to capture more than what it normally says but you still end up and that's why it like left me feeling cold at least is like i saw it coming and they try to say so much and capture all the nuance so it feels messy and unfocused they're not really know what they're trying to say yeah, I think that it, it ended up being a little bit of a hodgepodge and to have to fall back on like, well, the thing that we're talking about is actually pretty hard to talk about. It's like, well, okay, <laughs> but you yeah. did endeavor to make a story about it. Nobody so. gunned to your head said make this fucking <laughs> movie. Yeah, okay, so uh, we're going to get to this in the two segments from now, but unfortunately, guys, it is draft time. Cut, Mike, we don't have a, we don't have a song for draft time. Do you want to go real quick? Can I do a draft time, draft time? Everybody, time to pick. Thanks, and Mike. it's a bracket, not a draft, right? Oh, sorry, Mike. Do we? Do you have a song for bracket time? Gonna be a bracket, bracket. Everybody make a thing. And cut. <laughs> Hola, Felterinos. <laughs> I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp, he's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, you can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. Gonna be a bracket, bracket. Everybody make a thing.
listen, motherfuckers. I Ouch. came up with a bracket and I tried to just do eight, but uh, there was too many pianists. So we have sixteen. So we have to go. Fast. You got a problem, man. We have to, we have to go through this real fucking problem. quick. <laughs> I have a pianist problem. Uh, so you know, like, give me your answer real quick, and then we'll debate later. Okay. Uh, your first oh, seat man. is Ra- your first seat is Ralph from the Muppets. Shit, okay, Gra- strong. greatest pianist of all time. Yeah, very yes. strong. Here's the problem: the 16th seed is Vladislav Spilsman, the main character of the movie called The Pianist. Yeah, I was wondering about that. <laughs> I gotta go, Ralph. Ralph. I mean, what are you guys looking for? We can take some time in this first one. What are you guys looking for in a pianist? Coolness. Uh, it's got to be like a major cool factor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, f- because it's like you're do- they're doing so much, right? Their fingers are dancing, but they just sit very still a lot of times, and they just, that's so cool. That's like the coolest thing you can do. And to have his fingers dance when he only has two meaty paws is yeah. so impressive. Uh, we also, the, the three of us have been to a, a, a shocking amount of piano bars. And I also, for me, and I'm, you know, I'm not voting unless you guys disagree. Uh, for me, it's like, what, do you, what are you doing on the mic? We know your fingers are doing the magic. But on the mic, are you keeping the, the audience cool? Are you keeping them into it? Are, are they singing? Like, what are you capable of? Uh, Adrian Brody, you're out, bud. Even though you start in a movie called The Pianist, you're out. Uh, the next one, number two seed is Schroeder from Peanuts. Oof. Number 15 seed is Erica Kohut from The Piano Teacher, a movie that we watched for Movie of the Year. Oh, <laughs> oh dang. I was going to say Kick Rock Schroeder because I hate The Peanuts, but Ooh, yeah, I do I, not want to be in peanuts? a room with her. Yeah, and I, and I too severe, too severe, too scary. Not right. doing much it, on the mic, I'm assuming. Yeah, no. It's, yeah, yeah it's like, Schroeder's rocking that mic way harder. Schroeder stays. Number three seed is Phantom of the Opera. Okay. Your number 14 seed is Doc Holliday from Tombstone. Just always there, always tickling the ivories, no matter what he says. Now, point of order, this, it, it, Phantom of the Opera, he's a keyboardist, but he plays an organ, right? Um, These are all pianos, Greg. It's the greater piano umbrella. Uh, saxophone? That's just a fucking vertical <laughs> piano. <laughs> it's a piano you put in your mouth. I, I'm going Doc Holiday myself. Uh, he's got he's again he's so cool when he plays the piano. The guy asks him like, "Who the fuck wrote that song?" And he's like, "Frederick fucking Chopin." That's so cool. Huckle- Huckleberry Hound. <laughs> Nothing's cooler to me than covering half your face and wearing a cloak while you live in a basement. So I gotta go Phantom. Yeah, Doc Holiday, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> what? Uh, next one is Sebastian Wilder. Ryan Gosling from La La Land versus Homer Simpson. And let me finish. Uh, there's a couple of times where Homer Simpson has been proven to be an incredible pianist, especially when whipped. Like, he, is, he has been playing terrible piano. And yeah. somebody said, hey, play that piano better than that. And he gets whipped. And then he, he has proven himself to be a perfect pianist. And he, as a white man, doesn't think he's saving jazz and gets it better than anybody else. Right. Homer Homer is kind of like um the male version of Barbie. He just like he has every job. There's just a Homer that's president, a Homer that's an astronaut. And one of the things is a Homer that plays piano. If you sit him down in the bit to play piano, he and Marge will sit down and play the opening to uh well, All in the Family. All in the Family, yeah. right? Like so it's just whatever it takes, he can do it. I say Against Homer. Ryan- yeah. Yeah, okay. Ryan Gosling get the fuck out of here. Uh your next seed is Ada McGrath. 
That's uh, Holly Hunter from The Piano versus Goops from Top Gun, who screams, you shook my balls and you rattled my brain, and Meg Ryan is in the back of uh, ground of Top Gun screaming, yeah, do it, Goose. And then Goose <laughs> dies. Yeah. Goose was so important to me as a kid that I'm going to have to go with Goose. Uh, I believe Meg Ryan says to Goose, Goose, take me home or leave me forever. Lose me forever. Lose me forever. If, if you do not have sex with me yeah. right now, I will walk away. So imagine your nine-year-old Greg. I was <laughs> like, man, what kind of woman would leave you if you didn't have sex with her? And I have been interested in women ever since then. <laughs> Mike, do you know how hard it has been to be friends with Greg, despite the fact that he follows geese around and screams this at them at the park? <laughs> Take me home or lose me forever. Uh, I, I... I'm a notorious uh, hater of that movie and once saw a performance with Holly Hunter. So now I feel like we're, we're very close friends. She sat right in front of me. So I kicked her in the butt. You kicked her too many times. And so, and she wasn't mean about it. So I got to go with the piano. And Which, that was her name, go- right? Her character's name was the piano. The piano. She was the piano. I'm going to also go with Mike. Goose is out of here. Your fifth seed, gentlemen, is Donald and Daffy from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Nice. They share the seed. Banging away on that piano versus Phil from Groundhog Day, who spent a lot of his Groundhog Days learning how to play the piano. And then at the end scene, just knew it. And the piano teacher was like, what the fuck, my student? This is crazy. Yeah, this But is... at no point was Bill Murray a cartoon. Yeah, or two different cartoons from different right. universes. I don't know. This is a pretty good Bill Murray, but if that's a tall Goose... order. May and Meg Ryan made Greg fall in love with women, and that set that set then this shared universe set my love for shared universes, and Seriously? also set me in my <laughs> life. And it's what I'd always be chasing. It's got to be Donald and Daffy. <laughs> Greg, yeah, Donald and Daffy. All right, Groundhog Day, get the fuck out of here. Uh, Joe from Seoul. Versus the fabulous Baker Boys. So for people younger than me, uh, the two Bridges brothers, Jeff and Bo, pounded on the piano while Michelle Pfeiffer sat on top of the piano in a sexy dress and sang a lot. Damn. She's going to go up against Joe from Seoul. Greg, what are you thinking? Michelle Pfeiffer recommends the brothers a, a lot. But recently, I've been more mindful of Joe from Seoul. So I'm going to go with Joe from Seoul. <laughs> Mike? Uh, they sound like rivals to the Hardy Boys, so I'm also going to go with Joe <laughs> from Seoul. You do hate some Hardy Boys. And your final matchup, gentlemen, is Josh Baskin and Robert Loja from Big on that big-ass keyboard. <laughs> That's a good one. Versus Tom Green from Freddy Got Finger. Daddy, would you like some sausage? Oh, God. Daddy, would you like some sausage? Big. I'm... <laughs> Yeah, it's got to be. Let's piano shouldn't be horrifying. No, that is a trombones oeuvre. Uh, Mike, I'm so stoked that you got rid of uh, Freddie Got Fingered as soon as possible. All right, here we go. Speed round. Greg Ralph versus Homer. Ralph. I mean, he's more iconically piano. Yeah, Mike. Got to be okay. Ralph. Mike Schroeder versus the Fabulous Baker Boys. Who I don't think moved on, but Schroeder. Greg? Schroeder as well, yeah. Uh, Greg, Phantom of the Opera versus Josh Baskin and Robert Loja from Big. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, the Big. The Big Boys. 
That's so Fast iconic, man. We're a movie. We are a movie podcast. We got to go with that, right? And then finally, Mike, Ada McGrath from The Piano versus Donald and Daffy from Who Framed Roger uh, Rabbit. Good job, The Piano, for making it this far. It's Donald and Daffy for me. All right. So we have three Muppets or cartoons <laughs> versus two live uh, actual human beings. Uh, final four. Greg, we're starting with you. Ralph versus Josh, Bas- Josh Baskin and Robert Loja. I'm going big still. I think big is, should go all the way. Mike? To elevate the piano to a point where you're playing it in a way nobody even thought you could. It's got to be Loja and his orange juice. I thought that could go either way. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> but Robert Loja does love some orange juice. In fact, Mike... Mike. Just for knowing that. And then finally, Mike <laughs> Schroeder from Peanuts versus Donald and Daffy from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Donald and Daffy all the way from me. All right. We have two dueling <laughs> piano. Greg, go ahead. Sorry. I'll go Donald Daffy as well. Uh, we have two dueling pianists. It's Donald and Daffy versus Josh Baskin and Robert Loja. Mike, where are we going? I, I, I think to, the piano is known as, as a... The level of precision you have to get, the the amount of discipline and training to get to that point, nine but times to be able out to of have ten, that, and then drop chaos onto it. But they played, man. They knew all the rules, so they could break the rules. It has to be Donald and Daffy Ducks. I disagree Greg? with the assertion that they knew all the rules, and that was why they were able to break all the rules. But two guys who definitely followed the rules were the big boys. That's so iconic. There's if, if if you said think of movie scenes involving the piano, even though it doesn't make sense to think of the one that's on the floor, that's the first thing people would think of. So who are you going with? The big boys. Who who is that? Robert Loggia and uh our good friend Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks. All right. Uh for for uh moody listeners who were just tuning in, uh this battle has actually happened. Both of these movies have episodes in our 1988 season, <laughs> and I think this we we did talk about this battle in that, but uh, where I probably said the exact opposite of the point I just made. But Donald and Daffy are going to take this down. They are the winners of the <laughs> pianist bracket. Good job, Mike. Mike. Donald and Daffy, congratulations! And by the way, Duck. And we're going to get back to Soul in one second. Quickly covered up by Nomadland shooting scenes in an Amazon warehouse, Soul took some shit when it was released about how it handled its first black main character. I want to know where you guys landed on how Joe was handled, and I want to start the conversation with a different character, of course. When Joe and 22 first meet, 22 states that it could have had any voice, but she chose Tina Fey's voice because it annoys people. How much does this scene complicate the whole darn thing? The voice choosing scene. Yes, she she at one point she does Joe's voice and she does I think Ed Asner's voice from Up. The movie seems to take pains to be like this is not a white lady who is going to then go take control of a black man's body. It's we, a non-gendered entity, yeah. and we but, know that we know that Joe was added to the script at some point. So I could also see that oh we ca- we got Tina Fey we casted Tina Fey. Should we also add this part to the to the script where she is going over the fact that like, oh no, I could do anything, but I chose to be Tina Fey. Mm-hmm. Like it's a choice of the character. It's that, it's a dig at Tina Fey. I also think like 
I wonder, I'm sure it would still like raise people's eyebrows, but Tina Fey has been in hot water before for not treating race very well throughout her comedy career. So her specifically being, I was like, that seems like a weird choice now. Now I'm thinking about it a little more than if I would, than if it was Holly Hunter. Five episodes. For no reason. Tina Fey's in the Hall of Fame, and I support that. Like, she's in the Filter Hall of Fame, and I still love her. Like, I I think she's awesome. But five episodes of 30 Rock had to be pulled once Mm -hmm. the whole blackface thing came down five episodes yeah and so then it it it, it's hard not to see that to see the movie kind of through that context or what i was thinking about recently is like how different would the movie feel if if 22 were voiced by tiffany haddish Mm -hmm. like it's just but and i don't think i would have even noticed this sort of thing on my own except of the discourse about the princess and the frog the the disney movie that it congratulated itself for having a, a black main character and then she's in her Who body she's not in the movie yeah yeah like she's not in in right. her own body for so much of the movie and so because i had heard the discourse about that mm-hmm. it was interesting that the same company you know a different division of the same company is then going to have like very much being like race forward about like the the main right. character is black and then he's he spends less time controlling his body than 22 spends controlling his body in the movie i'm sure there's people argue like well disney made like uh the sword in the stone and that guy's in a bird's body for most of the movie but and that's the problem with having so few movies about black characters if this was one of the five pixar movies starring a black character we probably wouldn't care we probably wouldn't be like oh like we might like mention it and move on it wouldn't be an entire segment but because it's the one it becomes a much bigger part of the discourse. Cause... Especially when so much of the movie is like, he's now going to watch Tina Fey pilot his body and mm-hmm. he's going to learn a thing or two about blackness. Like he's going to learn what it's like to go to the barber shop and to really sit oh, there shit. and talk to the guys. You know, Oof. Tina Fey is going to show him how to do that. And by the time he's done, Tina Fey has basically shown him, you know, how do you do it? This is how, this is how you be a black guy. You should have done it this way. You should have been uh... a little cooler about it. Joe could never connect to his mom until Tina Fey was in charge of his body. And then they hugged and they related to each other in a way that they had never done in Joe's entire I life. Like, until, until I like how the movie over. realizes that they're about to have like his most important lines be delivered by her. And so the movie suddenly like, whoa, wait, hang on. <laughs> and does that like pan around behind yeah. his mom's head. And now the cat is right. just sitting there. Right. Not The cat's not mouthing anything. <laughs> and but he's no, just see, saying, it is, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> And it's well, they, it's they like that Hunt for Red October, realized. where they like uh, Sean Connery speaks speaks Russian for like ten seconds, and then the camera works, and like so now I can speak like Sean Connery, right? <laughs> now I can deliver all the lines. <laughs> now I'm the Russian. Now I am but the yeah, Russian, and, and I honestly, um, you're the Russian now, dog. <laughs> and whether or not it is like right. ultimately okay is not for us obviously to decide but i will say the in the course of watching the movie the fact that you can't quite put this question to bed Mm. ruins the movie i mean it really it kept me from engaging fully with the experience because i just kept being like is this okay now we're watching him in the body of a cat kind of be a buffoon and we're watching his physical body kind of be a buffoon so now he's like a is he a double joke now? Like, but the the body of the cat thing seems out of place. It seems like, oh shit, we forgot we're a kids movie. You know what? Right. Real quick, let's throw him into the body of a cat. Not thinking about the other part about how like black people lose have to lose their blackness in order for movies to work. And then the princess and the frog thing is crazy. But I it's like, I I I started reading about it and I like 
it's not just the cat thing. It's like as soon as possible, he becomes a little blue marshmallow <laughs> and doesn't have to adhere to black norms. Mm. You know, like there's he no gets reduced to basically his his like uh, hat and glasses and all Which the research pretty black, I think all, all the research that we had to do about like how black people live. We don't have to do anymore because now he's a blue marshmallow and now he's a cat and now we're what? out. And uh, I didn't think about the Princess and the Frog, but like Tiana from Princess and the Frog Mm -hmm. is Tiana for like seriously 18 minutes of that entire movie. And the the, the not having to think about black culture and nuances is so interesting because they brought in, they purposely brought in black writers and a black co-director. In a helicopter. In, all right. like Call at the last the minute writers. like all right here's the script we already filmed it can you did we it fuck up real bad be honest <laughs> but like it's it's so interesting it's like so are we looking too much into it because there's black creators who are fine with it or was there already they're like well you can change the barbershop a little but you can't change most of the movie we've done like what it, how different no would the movie have been if they had like more in-house black talent and asked the black writers hey we're starting this off how do we start this off in the right way not how do we finish this off in the right way but like could you help us get this thing going because i think blackness is more than just a coat of something that you like apply right. at the end right yeah, right. sure. i think that's cool too like i uh, this movie was supposed to be about 22 and then they were like oh shit this isn't working let's just paint joe on top and let's let's have a co-writer who is also black well, Joe but, was also a scientist at first. And which yeah, is, he was also a scientist, but like that doesn't work enough. So let's make this jazz music the blackest thing you can do. Like I really do think that they thought like, oh, if this is jazz, then what's fucking blacker than that, baby? And which is why they got Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross right. to do the music. <laughs> <laughs> Nine Inch Nails about to win like their third Oscar because of Soul, which is insane. But uh <laughs> This could have all been avoided if a long time ago it was just very commonplace to have, you know, twenty five to fifty percent of your writers' room for movies or TV black. What what I'm excited about is that Kemp Powers, who is the co director with Peter Doctor, uh, was only a writer before. I think he, he was a playwright, and is now he's one of the directors of the next Spider Man verse movie. Like I, th- I like I think this is a right. career sea change for him. And I think we're gonna see some cool shit. And I, I think it's it's worth noting that like, when a movie tries to to do the right thing, or or it, it's it's okay to be like you know to still question its mm-hmm. motives and to still question how successful it is. But if this movie can help launch careers and stuff, then that is you know that is obviously a positive. I probably read uh, three articles by black writers about their issues with soul, right and. The one movie that they all brought up. Well, they all brought up Princess and the Frog. And they all brought up that fucking Will Smith, I'm a spy, for like 20 minutes, but now I'm a pigeon. Oh, gosh, yeah. You have to take black people out of their bodies. Otherwise, people won't identify. You know, like, it's easier to identify with a frog or a pigeon than it is with a black person. See, one, obviously, that's racist and wrong. But I definitely identify with Joe as Joe thinking he is cool and knows how to talk to people and then realizing he has no idea how to talk to people. But the movie that they all brought up is like, uh, what about this shit, motherfucker? Was Smith. Every single article brought up Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And they were all like, uh, Miles 
uh, is just like he he is not Spider Man, and then he is Spider Man, and then he is nonstop black and Puerto Rican the entire time, yeah. and they never take that away from him. You know, it, as a mm-hmm. as opposed to shit, I don't know, I don't know how to write a black person. I don't know how to write a black character. Let's make him not black or her not black as soon as possible. But because you feel better, like you know what a pigeon is like. I, yeah, I, I know how to write a pigeon. I but don't the thing for the pigeons. What's so good about Miles Morales is is they just cut to the humanity, you know, and that's the part that everybody can identify with. Um, and so it's like it's it that movie has a lot more trust in its audience. Than most movies have, like uh, they're lucky that they got that amount of trust from the studio because it could have been so easy to botch Spider-Man into the Spider Verse. Well, it, like Miles, part of the movie is about Miles coding and like coding as Spider-Man, as black, as Puerto Rican, as you know, like a uh, big time, like a student at like a big time college or high school or like a uh, you know smaller high school. He's always coding, and then they got the dialogue right, and then. But instead, uh, the, these other movies are having writers who don't know how to code, who do not do not know how to like speak like that, and they're so nervous. They're like, "No, no, no make him." What if he was just a spider, not a man, just a spider? Because it's so weird. It's what it's what you said, Ryan. It's they decided they wanted to make a movie that spoke to a type of diversity that they didn't build into their own company very effectively. Like, be the change you want to see. You know, you shouldn't have to figure out how you're gonna tell these stories. You should have a diverse group of people that helps you generate the ideas for the stories and ultimately this movie is going to go down uh against coco not because they're both about similar things and coco handled it better but coco felt like it understood the language of the people that it was depicting mm-hmm. and soul never like soul for soul it was like uh black people right uh, paint that over real quick whereas coco like coco is an important movie to a lot of people and i think because uh, that's another i think coco is an example of like it wasn't it never was anything else. It was formed mm-hmm, in right. its very bones, its very don't, foundations. Don't paint an African American thing after the fact. Don't be yeah. like, "Oh, we should add some black." <laughs> Gentlemen, it's time for speed round. Are the Pixar movies, while still very good, finally past the point of every single one changing animation forever? Is it sad that this time has passed? We're kind of a relief. I'm stoked. Like the, yeah. uh, I'm I'm ready for the next right. phase of Pixar, which is just like Onward was really good, and honestly, Soul left me with a lot of questions and everything. But it has a lot of beautiful moments as well. If this is the quality of the movies, that's as much as we can, I think, expect. Yeah, it's kind of nice going into a movie not feeling pressure that yeah. your life is going to change. <laughs> yeah, when like, I mean, I remember going to see Up, and it was like, if this movie isn't really very good, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's okay, big guy. <laughs> Do we take Jamie Foxx for granted? Does this feel like yet another gear from him? Yeah, I think we definitely do. He's so good, but he's so often pimping the line of sports books and is in movies like Project Power. Like he needs to take his like his talent more seriously for us too. But like if we had 3D glasses and we could just like see talent. Like all we see is talent. Like he's right up there with the DDL, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he can like like yeah he can sing he can play the piano like this i don't know if he can play the piano as well as joe gardner can but like i mean he's he's a dynamo and i think that he he's been consistently good for so long and maybe overexposed although if i were him i would take every freaking project i could just get that Especially money, the project man. powers do the historical celebs in this movie did that do anything for you guys 
they were so bland for the most part. It was like, oh, they reminded me of Family Guy jokes or something. It's like, oh, that reminds me of the time I was hanging out with Marie Antoinette. Let them eat cake. Oh, that reminds me of that shocking discovery I made with Benjamin Franklin. It's we we all grew up on Animaniacs, which made good old dead celebrity jokes. So this kind of mm-hmm. stuff is tired. Yeah, yeah, we're done. Nonstop uh, Humphrey Bogart jokes, which we all understood. And Peter all Sellers, loved. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Twenty two doesn't like how music sounds. Have you ever met people like this? And should we take them to jail? Yes, and yes. Well, no. I mean, we have to abolish prisons and jails, but um, uh, I do think it's people. It's very disturbing when someone is like, oh, I don't like music. I don't know. That's just like, that's so weird. It's like if somebody went like, oh, I don't care for color. I don't think somebody who doesn't like movies. Doesn't like movies? That's fucked up to me. Movies have vision and music. Yeah, movies have everything you want put together to make you feel a certain way. They're beautiful. I want them taken to jail. Mike, who is it? Has this person seen movies? They have. Oh, fuck. It's Mike. It's me. It's I hate goddamn movies. Mike. Yeah, are they just Why on? Rate every work? movie so poorly. <laughs> Does this movie? We talked about this a little bit, but let's get into it. Uh, I really appreciated how how real New York felt. But did New York smell right? Did New York feel right? Like no. It did this movie so appreciate how fucking disgusting New York is? The New York is a fucking like. Imagine being thrown into a pile, and I've never been. You guys have been, but uh, I'll speak for you. New York is like being catapulted into a pit of slime and pus and racism. No, it just well, it, well actually, New York's a very diverse city. Uh, it's it, it's it smells like hot piss and garbage. So, and that's not a slight. That those are just the things that are flowing down the street. Yes. But the idea that you would be like in a little alcove and somebody would be like, you don't even know what smell is. Honestly, if you are anywhere in manhattan when the sun is out you know what you smell know. is oh this is that thing yeah you are well is it, aware is that what lauren hill was thinking about <laughs> and it did it in a cute cartoony way but pizza rat was real and they put it in here yeah that rat like looked that, a lot though. like ratatouille like pixar is should be bigger than like putting memes in their movie yeah come on you Honestly, see, at no point did a computer kid turn around and give you the thumbs up while bobbing his head up and down. I bet that played very well with the kids, the millennials and such. I bet that was very litty. In a borderline Woody Allen trying to do a uh, Bergman movie, that was probably the only part of this movie that they actually liked. Uh, <laughs> how many people in the world don't have souls? And why is it Ryan is the question that I'm reading right now. <laughs> That's really rude. Wow. So one... And because just the general way you are and how you're raised by hedge fund managers, which I think is the bravest joke this movie made. <laughs> Over the Knicks joke? You guys don't do you guys think that the Knicks joke was the bravest joke? You know, I what I liked about the Knicks joke was the Knicks actually are having a really good year this year and things are finally looking looking up for the Knicks and I'm here for it. You know what? The NBA is better when the Knicks are relevant and they haven't been for twenty five years. My final question, where is Soul? And answer this quickly. So I don't know, like top third, middle third, bottom third. Where is Soul in the Pixar canon for you guys? Bottom third. Middle third. This is like uh this is like the best of the not good ones. Mike. I think I'm gonna give that to Mike. I think it's in the middle of the but man, I, I really do think that if I wrote them all out and moved them around, it probably is bottom third. And yet Mike got the point. Uh <laughs> 
And you're, right, ca- you're not you're not counting planes, are you? Because that's actually I, oh that's my a Disney fucking joint. god. Okay, so I'm going to say this right now, and this is for the last time, Greg. Yeah. Planes is the best Pixar movie that Pixar has ever done. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, we're giving out awards. Yeah. It ain't how fast you're flying. It's how you fly fast. You can fly a whole lot higher than you think. So Soul was nominated for two awards, and I uh, Academy Awards. And of the time of this recording, uh, we, we do not know what it's going to win. But I actually think it's going to win both. I think it's going to win Best Score. Way to go, Nine Inch Nails. And I think it's going to be win Best Animated Movie, even though it's not the Best Animated Movie of the Year. Greg, have we talked about this? Have you seen Wolfwalkers? Yeah, Wolfwalkers is My a goodness. way better movie than My this. Goodness. And so, I mean, like, it, and if you just, like, look at the animated part of it, like, like you know, which is the better animated movie, like, Wolfwalkers looks so much cooler. Oh man, and it has so much more heart and the heart, the like the pulling the heartstrings. Like this is what Pixar used to do, and now it's just like, oh look at how now this is a robot who does a dance with a laser. But Wolf also, Walkers. you know what I like about those movies? Those movies, everything that comes out of that studio, those are kind of slow movies, and they're resisting the like the constant. Yes like make everything faster bigger louder and i love that man i love how kind of like slow and sleepy those movies are at no point in that movie is it anybody like hey i'm a wolf walker and this is jackass and then they kick somebody in the nuts <laughs> for no reason okay wouldn't that be good though <laughs> i would put it in my top five of the year it's an incredible movie but instead we're just going to give awards to this movie i guess here we go <laughs> let me start the timer uh, Greg, you're up first. It's for Oh Shit Animation. Oh Shit Animation. Um, when Terry enters the like real world, there's been these two different worlds for the most part. You've seen some crossover. But Terry has this weird linear um, mm-hmm. kind of like two-dimensionality. And when that get a- gets applied to the real world and you see like a crossover of the two different animation styles on one sort of like image, uh, that was like of a lot of oh shit moments, that was the one that really like was the most unexpected I encountered in the movie. Mike? Yeah, one of the coolest things is is the 2D meets 3D. But mine is, it seems simple at first, but it made me like my jaw drop is Dorothea Williams when she first plays the saxophone. That fucking saxophone, the way the valves move, the reflection of the it room glistens. in this saxophone, it's bananas, man. It flows. It, 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 yeah, it, it, there's a liquid feel to it. it. It's crazy how good that saxophone looks. Yeah. I'm going to give that one to Mike. Anything Mike. like, if they, if they do jazz, then they're doing it right, I, I got to say. Uh, Mike, it's up to you, and it's a musical moment, and now you can't do that one. That seems like a really good one for you, but now you can't do that. So I guess I would have to say uh, I know it, it's a flaw in Joe, it, like, but him getting lost in the piano and it's finally like I think the first time the movie's like he's not crazy, he is really good at music, uh, and him playing the piano and going to the zone, okay, and then ignoring the rest of the quartet. Which yeah, I don't know enough about jazz to know if like if that's rude or that's awesome, but I do want to like I want to call out the fact like how concerned they all are for Joe to be in a suit. And if Joe's not in a suit, <laughs> then like he is cut from the jazz world forever. Are they well, like- if, this, if this movie were about her, uh, Dorothea Williams, 
then I think we would understand how insulting this whole thing is to her. <laughs> she is probably, as she's portrayed in the movie, like she's probably one of the best saxophonists alive of her time. And they want this middle school teacher who doesn't own a suit to come in and play the piano for her. That's She's very insulted. She's like a, an artist. And so mm. we know and love Joe. And so we think it's kind of rude to him. But I think objectively you can see that she kind of has a point there and my for music all of bo- her uh sorry greg but all for all of her talent and all of her stories about like fish in the ocean she is a uh she's a gig worker you know like she yeah. is just every night she has to go and just like be where she is and like do the thing and like yeah that was my night and that's it like there's no recording deal there's no like uh on the radio it's just like i have to do this every single night she has to piece yes. the band together. She has to have rehearsals where she just uh, sees the new people that are going to come in. And, and so, you know, for me, the music moment is when it's right after Connie has done her solo and he sits down at the piano and like basically like tells them this story about, you know, when he fell in love with jazz music and um, he plays and talks to them at the same time. And he's doing that thing that teachers try to do, which is like, show them what it's like to experience wonder about these things because kids are so, you know, they inure themselves to the wonder of the world, honestly, because they're like are at school grinding all day. And so you try to show them the way that to you, it's so beautiful um, and that it sings. And he does that there, like the light that comes out of him and the beauty that comes out of him. They understand the way he sees jazz. And that's valuable because they they get a little bit of that understanding, even if they're not going to learn to ever be musician musicians, because almost every kid but one in there is not going to be. Um, they will at least have understood what it's like to really care about it. Yeah, that's a Greg one. Uh, and Work. yeah, like... That like that that's sort of how music works is that like ninety percent are going to be a little bit stinky, but still love the music. And then there's yeah. one. There's that one shooting star. All right, Craig, cringiest. What is the cringiest scene? For me, I don't want to go back to the the same well that we've been harping on. So I'm gonna say I cringed every time one of those souls made contact with like that big white like passing over into the next realm. I hated the way it zapped. It made this bug zapper sound, and it just really, it was, like, so dangerous and scary, and uh, I cringed. Mike? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to go to the well. I'll go back to the well (laughs) of when you realize Tina Fey is going to be piloting Joe's body for most of the movie, and you're like, oh. Don't do it, though. (laughs) Because, honestly, if you were making this movie, if if you were part of the community to make this movie... You'd be like, the one thing we can't do. Here's the one mistake that we can't make. And that would be it. That would be the one thing that you absolutely can't do in that movie. And they fell into the trap. They put their foot in the one bucket. But either either they thought like, oh no, what we're doing is this so is awesome different. that like we could do any whatever we want. Or, oh no, I have done no research about how black bodies have been treated for the last 75 Ever. years. Including, uh, including, I have not watched Get Out, so I have no idea yeah. what these people are talking about. Uh, uh, Mike, performance. Who is the performance I, of this movie? We, we've talked about this a lot, and and this is one of the things I thought I was going to come out swinging, but I'm glad we're just all in agreement. Is that Jamie Fox is great, man. He he. When Joe has to be buffoonish, he's buffoonish. When he's funny, he's funny. He is. I think Joe is in the kind of Pixar protagonist as Woody of he would. 
think you're supposed to like him because he's the hero of the movie, but he's kind of a prick. And I think he captures that really well and groundedly. And not, look at me sing, look at me dance, look at me dress like a woman, you know? Right. Greg? Yeah, it's got to be Jamie Foxx. Uh, when I heard his voice, I forgot that he was in this movie. And like it's because work. he really did such a good job of like becoming this character. Mm-hmm. And he's so alive. And really, maybe that's like the biggest heartbreak, is that if it was just allowed to be a movie about joe garner with, with jamie fox as the voice and the guy's in his own body the whole time and he learns all these same lessons but maybe in a different way maybe on his own being his own guide or something then it would be really touching we went over uh pete doctor's movies and pete doctor has a thing even in pixar he has a thing right like he does a thing uh what is his most directorish moment greg uh for me, it is that moment where Joe falls down the hole. Um, and this is where probably the movie falls down a hole as well. But uh, he goes from, he passes from the one world into the other, quite literally. And that switch, suddenly the animation style switch, even though you knew it was coming, is such a, a sort of shock and delight. Um, so yeah, the moment right where he falls and I guess dies. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> Mike, uh, I think it's it's when we first see that Jerry's and Terry interacting, and like we start to see the world of that. Because if you look at Inside Out, this and Monsters Inc., he is obsessed with bureaucracy, like fantastical bureaucracy. Yeah. Uh, and so that that's mine. Or yeah, just the knowledge that like it sucks, you know. And Terry is like the villain ultimately of this movie, but things can't get done without Terry's. You know, like right. Uh, the world sort of works. We all get to enjoy our life while the Jerry's and the Terry's make sure that it works. So yeah, I'm you just have to mind. manage them. I think that's the point. Of, you know, like you just have to find a way to let them think that they are being their Terryist, mm-hmm. and they don't know that you're just secretly changing the count behind them. Yeah, and that's in here. Yeah, just like just they're easily distracted. Just yeah. So you just but let them think that they're really doing it because they don't come from a bad place. They're trying to just uphold order and everything. The big point here, for so many points, is the recommendation, guys. The sleeper pick, that you, if you like Soul, what are you going to watch? I'm so excited for this part. I have mine. I don't want to say mine yet because Mike will get mad. Mike, you're just going first. It. What just is it? it. Uh, I, I think if you're like, I want to learn more about this world that is jazz, and I'm sure only good people are in it. Boy, have I got a movie for you. Uh not talked about enough these days. Still amazing. Still a great J.K. Simmons performance. I say go watch Whiplash. Whiplash. Also about how the world crushes your soul. Also and about teachers. To, teachers, uh, obsession and passion. The reason, Part of the reason why I like this uh, weak generation that only gets weaker is that even when Whiplash came out, people were like, yeah, but the teacher's right. And now, <laughs> now like over the last five years, we're like, no. Fuck him, dude. Fuck him. He's a terrible, abusive asshole. That's a good one. You got a point. Greg? <laughs> um, this is a meditation on music and uses a lot of um, you know fancy effects to help bring about the feeling of music. A movie that just uses music to do that is Once. Uh, this movie came out in like 2007, I want to say, um, and is just basically just watching two people play the guitar and sing together and the feeling the raw emotion um that's conveyed in just the singing and the wailing on the guitar i feel like this movie i feel like a soul tries to 
get us to understand music in a way that once does it just by like overwhelming us with music and the kind of music that like a man a woman a guitar and a piano can make just Mm -hmm. those four things together when they're like all resonating as much as possible all right uh for mine i don't i don't get to have points but i'm gonna say and i probably say this every week but i'm gonna do it again it's the tree of life and it's because I I don't I don't know what the great beyond or the great before is, but I'm gonna make a movie about it. Oh my god, here we go. This is what I did. And it's gonna include dinosaurs or two dimensional characters or whatever the fuck and sort of just slowly walk you through all of the stuff that it could be. And it's not like it's not it's not about the information that you're getting about what it could be. It's about what do you want to think about before you get there? And I, I like that part about the tree of life and soul. So awesome recommendations, guys. I don't know how the awards went. I want to see soon. You know what? Let's just see. Let's just see real quick. When we come back, the end of the show. Oh, my God. Soul. Right? Um, I do sort of want to know where you guys put soul, like officially in your Pixar list, but... I guess before that, we have to figure out where do we put it in our 2020 list. And uh, what do you think? Like, is it a, is it a, one of those teams that like breaks up brackets and like does damage, or is it just fucking out? I think it's just kind of out. Yeah, it, it's other movies are tackling also are t- trying to talk about giant issues, but one instead of not a bunch. Like this, I think it just bit off more than it could chew, and it, it's. The, the thing sum that, is less than its parts. Do you guys want the thing I didn't go ahead, Greg. Go, Ryan. <laughs> I'll go. The thing I uh didn't think about, but you guys brought up a couple of times, is is this an effective kids movie? Like are it was it even intended to be a kids movie? There's no I wish like there's I, I think the kids will watch this. And there's some movies that I have like this. Uh Carnal Knowledge. Um <laughs> Porno. Uh, where I watched <laughs> as a kid, and I was like, "Oh, I'll I'll figure out what this is all about later." And then I did, and it made me a stronger, better adult. That's what <laughs> this is. But like, this is not entertain. Like, it's not even like scene to scene entertaining children. There is a cat at one point that sort of sometimes talks like a black dude. Other than that, there is. This is not a movie for kids. It's there's the it's just souls. our kids. Our kids seriously watch this movie and be like, oh, he has a really complicated relationship with his mom. <laughs> I relate to that. They're six. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have that in 20 years. And you know I, what, I kid? The, you will. The puffball is bouncing up and down saying hell. Like, I think that there's little moments, but not enough. Also, uh, I tried so hard to get a drop tonight in for Quiet Coyote. Every time you guys talk so much, if I could just have her saying Quiet Coyote, that would have been awesome. Uh, so I think it's low on the Pixar list. I think that it might be low on the 2020 list. Uh, so I guess we'll just get to the winners of the competition tonight, uh, guys. I come on, Ryan, rip the bandaid. I off. had 13 points, just higher and higher than any other host every week. And I, typically, this is where I get to like give some sort of speech. But I would like one of you for points to give the speech for me. I have 13 points. Never before has a man scored 13 points while also hosting a show while also drinking a lot of energy drink. But Ryan (laughs) is willing to go out there and do it for everybody. Mike? I think it it takes a brave soul, pardon the pun, to... Mike. Boo. 
to care more about what he has to say than running a good ship and steering the show. And so that's how you get 13 Bread. points as the host of Movie of the Year. Bread. Bread. Shit. Bread. You, Bread. you may have blown it there, Mike. <laughs> Bread. Who do we think won? <laughs> All right, well, before I did, I gave Greg 10 points for Mike's fucking absurd mutiny. Um, uh, it was Mike 29, Greg 33. So, Oh, I won anyway. Ha-ha. See, I told you when I'm certain I'm wrong, Greg. Ha-ha. Wait, were you certain that you were to win, Mike? Both Greg and I were pretty sure I yeah. won. Yeah, I asked Mike who he thought won, and he was afraid to say because he was like, oh, obviously I, th- I think I won, and yeah. That's who is gloating now, Mike? Who is the braggart now? Probably Ryan. Uh, yeah, he was kind of the one. Who was <laughs> and yeah, let's always, if you guys are always about to brag, let's let me brag instead. <laughs> Just permanent show rule. Uh, guys, next week, or I don't know about like in real time, but like very soon for us, we're going to do one more movie, and that is Minery. It is not called the thing that most people call it. It's is that true? Yeah, it's it's called it's actually called the thing. Well, I just I know it's not called Minari. It might be the yeah. thing that I said, or it might be something different. But it's not called Minari. Uh, and then after that, I wish I weren't always just saying the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so great. <laughs> I know, Greg. But this is how we do it. Um, do you guys have in your heart of hearts before we go move into the finale, like who you're rooting for, who you think is going to win? You don't even have to talk about it. Just like. Or like what it yes, is, but yeah. like, do you know? Do you do you have a feeling of like, is it gonna be Soul? No, <laughs> I have a feeling it's not going to be Soul. Yeah, Mike, speak more on how it's not going to be Soul. It definitely will not be Soul, based on how we've talked about every other movie this season and how we talked about this movie. It's not going to be Soul. But like, I have a movie that I definitely think it's going to be. But I have found that there's nothing that can prepare you for the most unpredictable night in Hollywood. <laughs> I know. Uh, hey, Oscars, go fuck yourself, because it's about to be moody 2020 time. Uh, we've got a Charlie Kaufman movie. We have a uh, Kelly Reichert movie. Um, we have a Pixar movie. Like, I think there's a lot to be excited for. Uh, Mike. Yes. This is the last time you're going to talk to everybody before the finale. What do you want to say to say to everybody? I'm a golden god. Okay. And then I jump into the pool. And Greg, what do we got from you? I'm so glad we're all friends. Uh, Greg, one more point. And of course, as always, keep watching those movies.